0: To Splatter Jetter, where October never dies. I am Ms. Melmore. and I am Mr. Craigers. Mm-hmm. You took pause that time. I always feel like there's a longer intro than there is. I don't know what I, that's about. <laughs>
1: I did. I don't. I, I. I. I don't know. I don't know. If we just and, and we're it back. On.
0: And we're back. And then we're gonna have to. You know, <laughs> it's it's Friday the thirteenth, kids. It's Friday the thirteenth kids kids get spooked you know what that means it is also friday the 13th it's also uh, friday yeah. the 13th despite the fact that uh, bye bye man is going to has attempted to use friday the 13th already in its marketing campaigns um For the movie that is coming out, I, apparently on Friday the 13th, I didn't, you know, I feel like maybe I knew that, I don't know, but it's, it's out, it's on, it's out. As of you listening to this, it's out, like, now already. Um, but yeah, the, the original Friday the 13th, um, favorite trivia question from Scream, who the original killer was. Um. Yeah. And we're gonna have- I know this, I know this. That's happening! Fucking Well, <laughs> you did. Um, yeah, we're gonna have a little Friday the Thirteenth fest um, because there are, you know, a million of these movies. Believe it or not, there are actually two more past Jason X, also known as Jason's in Space. There are total playing, of twelve. There are. They're actually playing Jason Lives at um, the theater down the road from me. And there was a trailer oh. for it with nocturnal animals on Tuesday. It was the original trailer from like when it came oh, out in like oh cool, on, like August nineteen eighty six or whatever. Um. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that was fun. But that's cool. yeah. Um, this was Mister Quagga's idea. Um.
1: Yeah, well, I. You know, it's, it's like, Friday the 13th, we're a horror podcast. It just seemed like, how could you not delve into the movies? So, what we think we're going to do is that, starting with this episode, we're going to dive into the original 1980 film, and every subsequent Friday the 13th, we will look at the next film, chronologically, in the franchise. Yeah. And... And, you know, do what we do.
0: This is a long, long, uh, I'm going to say long con, but that's not really what it is. It is no. a a long form uh, subseries within the podcast. Um, who, yeah. I don't actually know when the next Friday the 13th is going to be.
1: I feel like I looked it up earlier. There's a I fair there's, amount this year. Yeah,
0: there's a couple a year uh 2017 let's look that up anyway yeah so um yes okay you're not telling me anything google typical
1: okay so (laughs) typical big google okay so there's one in october oh yeah we did discuss those Okay, so yeah, the only other one this year, there's a second one in
0: October. You know what's fun about all of this is I technically live on the 13th floor of my building. It's the 14th floor, (gasps) but there is no 13th. They went 12 to 14 because, you know, okay.
1: That's a very common architectural.
0: Yeah, so I am on the 13th floor of my building on Friday the 13th, talking about Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, I am also looking at our little timer
1: on our conversation, this is the 13th minute of our Skype call.
0: What?
1: Ha spooky!
0: We're gonna like turn the Skype off and then get like attacked by like a cat or something um, in our respective <laughs> locked apartments. Although black your, cats. your track record hasn't been souped with uh, the apartment stuff. Listen. Although to be fair, they are yeah. they're doing construction on the water main tomorrow, so I don't have water from nine AM to one PM. So we'll blame that on Friday the thirteenth as well.
1: Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right.
0: Well Yeah. So alluding to um shall we yeah the, the scream the scream thing is that a lot of people don't realize that they really haven't seen the first Friday the Thirteenth film. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> when they think of Friday the 13th.
1: because when you he- yeah when you hear Friday the Thirteenth in reference to the famous horror franchise, got mask and those things. Um, yes, just when you, when one hears of Friday the 13th in reference to the famous franchise, you think of Jason Voorhees and the Hockey Mask. Yeah. Neither of which were present in the original movie.
0: <laughs> Boy, Jason, the greatest part of the
1: movie. <laughs> maybe, maybe Jason was... Present. Jason, I mean, his
0: Jason was present for a, felt a, felt? a hot second in the, the first film.
1: But is he physically there?
0: Not. No.
1: Yes. Or was he? Can you see me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. You're not moving. Oh, now you're moving.
0: Oh, we don't need me to move. We just need me to hear. Yeah, the internet's been super fucking shitty all day, so I need it to not keep doing this. I don't know what it, like... I turned off all my extracurricular stuff, and like right now it's fine, but I feel like the second you start talking, it's like, oh, he's saying something important. It's time to fuck with them
1: but... And, yeah. Mm-hmm. um, What, I mean, what do you want to do?
0: Well, let's just keep going and see what happens. If it happens too much, okay. then we'll just... We'll, do, we'll, fi- we'll fix something Yeah, But, um... Okay. Um, yeah, so... uh, If somebody calls your house, says to you, who was the original killer in Friday the 13th, and you say Jason Voorhees, <laughs> you would be wrong.
1: You would be very wrong. hmm Because... Alright, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it it's and you don't want to know.
0: It is actually a spoiler, even though <laughs> the movie came out in you know the seventies.
1: Yeah. The original killer is Pamela Voorhees. <gasps> Jason's mother. <Yeah. gasps>
0: Bro, Mrs. Voorhees was the original killer in Friday the thirteenth. Jason didn't appear to the sequel.
1: Oh the sequel! And the hockey mask, the other iconic symbol of this franchise, doesn't appear until the
0: third movie. What? Crazy.
1: Yes, mind's blown. I know. Miss Mel and I have just changed our life.
0: Mm-hmm. So. This is very much a, a franchise that can exist only as a franchise. <laughs> yeah. It is a yeah. is a unit. Um but yeah, I mean, and, you know, the fun thing about the original is that, yes, I mean, obviously, Jason Slasher, Hockey mask, great, good stuff. But the original as the kind of quintessential summer camp um, horror story is, is quite fun. And I don't think anything has really done it quite that well since either. Um, if you want to give them a rundown of the plot plot. Yeah,
1: well, just to say it, it is very fun. Mm -hmm. And I think the summer camp setting is one of the sort of best um, organizing principles that you can really find in slasher movies. And it's something a lot of people don't talk about as much with Friday the 13th, but it has a really strong sense of place. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And setting it at a summer camp it lends itself to so many things. I mean, you've got a built-in set of characters that you're going to have. You know, the counselors, the townspeople. In later movies, the campers. Um, It provides the killer with a unique set of weapons. I mean, in the first movie alone, there's an axe that gets used, a bow and arrow, a machete. Um, And, of course, it obviously helps for...
0: uh,
1: you know, the Friday the 13th story, because Jason drowns in a lake because of two neglectful um, counselors. So, like, it's not just an arbitrary setting, you know, like, it's a really yeah. genius, well utilized. Yeah, it's an
0: entire mythology kind of in, in the environment. Um, that's completely built in like you don't really have to do much work with it I mean the pieces are all you just kind of basically have to fill in um you know the I, I don't want to say molds or cookie cutters because that makes it seem you know n- not creative which it's not um it's just that you know there's so many built-in motifs <clears throat> that you basically can play around with and nothing really does it quite as well as Right, the thirteenth does in the original and then in, in subsequent stuff again and again until we get to space and then things kind of fall apart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> space camp.
1: Totally. Totally. Um. um but yeah, like um okay, yeah, so I guess we'll do a rundown of, of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um we start in the late fifties, I believe it's June uh, fifty-seven or fifty-eight. Um, There's a little prologue at the beginning in which um, two camp counselors at Camp Crystal Lake sneak away to fool around, do all the things that horny teenage counselors do. And uh, um, we see through a POV shot through the eyes of an unknown person, they're murdered, you know, mid-coitus, as it were. And, um, and then we jump forward in time, a good number of years, and we established this mythology that the murders of these counselors sort of perpetuated a number of declining years for the camp. It was closed. And in our present story, it's now being reopened um, by a, which is always a good a local man. Good idea.: Always a good idea. <laughs> Local man, Steve Christie, he's gotten some new counselors to come into town. We follow one of the new counselors in the very beginning as she interacts with the townspeople. Then she hitches a ride with um, an unknown person. We don't see the person. This person turns out to be, we're led to believe the same killer. She's off, And then we go full into life at the camp as the counselors are attempting to Reopen everything get everything ready before the kids show up. There are no like the, the kids. There are no actual campers in the original Friday the 13th um, They appear in a lot of the sequels, but what a lot of people don't realize is that this movie is just the counselors um, Which is even
0: more isolating. and of course
1: and Yeah, it's even more isolating and then you know in a classic slasher style they are picked off one by one leaving us with our final girl Alice who um, uncovers the identity of the killer and then uh, goes to battle. So, uh, yeah. and it's pretty epic. It's pretty epic. Um, so, yeah, but, okay, so, when this movie came out, most people were expecting a sort of traditional whodunit hmm There's no clues whatsoever to the
0: identity of the killer. Yeah, when the um, killer gets revealed, you're like, oh, that's, you know, okay. It's like, And it's not one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to buy it. It's just, it's literally like you had no, there was nothing saying it might be this person, it might be this person, because um, that's one thing you see a mm-hmm. lot in slashers is people will try, like, the the narrative will try to point to different people as possibly being the killer before it says, oh, it was me all along, and that sort of thing. Um, and there is none of that in this movie. Um, no. Which I think just is perfect for the setting, too, because it's like, you know, these people alone in the woods in this um, abandoned, antiquated place getting picked off by something that really doesn't seem to have an M.O. with, with what it does. Um, doesn't leave any clues. and it's clear that it's none of them. Um, so it, you know it's this outside force somewhere in in the woods that's that's taking them down. Um, which I could go into another full rant of my favorite topic in spooky things, which is the rule of proximity. Um, which you see a lot in The Witch, mm. where the closer you get to the forest, the farther you get from home, the more dangerous things become. Um, and this is another great example of that. Dangerous. Right. Well, and, yeah,
1: again, the idea of,
0: of camp,
1: of summer camp, mm-hmm. which, you know, a youth is the ultimate sort of being away from home. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, which um, is, I actually never did leap away camp either and I remember my friends doing it and I was like that sounds so scary
1: listen I was a camp kid for five years and I loved it but there were some nights where I was like laying in my bunk and I was like what's that sound? oh that's Jason he's oh, here Jason. I'm, he's I'm, th- this is it I'm dead <laughs> what a way to yeah. go though what a way to go yeah. um, and what I love about You were talking about the sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some really awesome camera work in Friday the 13th. Like um, with our POV shots with the killer, the killer is always looking through some sort of window or Mm. door during the movie. You know, our protagonists, they're always framed. um, and, And it's always dark outside and it's always just this little box of light which also like you know on the surface level lets us feel a sense of stalking but as the film goes on and we see more and more of these shots those boxes become more constricted and so it's literally that the counselors are being boxed in as the movie goes on hmm. and that i think is a great subconscious tool to increase tension in the viewer and lead to that sense of of like entrapment, isolation, you're being cut off. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and that's a
0: cool move. And that shows up really well at the end where it's basically you've got, you know, she's, she's cornered and basically the escape route is the lake, which really isn't much of an escape route at all. Like you've got this body of water kind of pinning you down as Mm -hmm. well. Like you've got the killer to one side the lake to the other and you're basically trapped um which you know really works well as well like this is just it's like the perfect setting for for slasher film um
1: it is it's a great setting i mean even those moments in the beginning of the film where we're not at camp crystal lake and we're seeing the, the town surrounding it it's very idyllic. There's lots of shots of sort of the natural beauty of this uh this place in, in New Jersey. It's set in New Jersey. It's almost like Rockwellian and then we get this whole movie about innocence being destroyed mm. and, and like nature sort of being complicit in very dark evil acts. And like the it all subconsciously this setting like, makes the, the viewer feel that, that dread.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it's, it's, it's definitely creates a sense of um, claustrophobia in viewing it. Um, yeah, like, and I didn't even, I didn't even, like, I think of now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, like, there's always sort of like a vessel, not a vessel, but a um, sort of viewfinder through which um, we watch the killer watch the victims um and they always seem to be in some kind of enclosed space whether they're in their bunk or Mm -hmm. in the kitchen um or what have you um and it's well you know you're taking okay you're you're in the town now you're in the camp now you're within this this um view and it's like nesting dolls of of kind of yeah oh yeah
1: that's a great way to put it yeah But and 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. For
0: no, you got it.
1: Well, just I was thinking about we were talking about nature and sort of like the violation of 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 nature almost because I feel like a like sort of an undercurrent to this to this movie is nature and mother nature can mm-hmm. be related. Yeah. Um, the, like the final bloodbath occurs under the cover of a thunderstorm. Um, and this occurs frequently throughout the rest of the franchise. It's a repeated motif. Um, and early on in the original film, someone mentions having a dream about it raining blood. So I think it raises this question of what, what, what is the rain of blood exactly or or why the thunderstorm? Is it some sort of manifestation of the rage of our killer? Is, is it a protection to allow the killer to carry out what they need to do? A protest against mm-hmm. what happened to Jason? Like there's some really yeah, deep thematic things going on yeah. in what should be just a simple slasher.
0: Yeah, and that's because pathetic fallacy gets used and overused like constantly. That's the number one thing people will use in in anything is like, oh, it's sad. Okay, it's going to rain. Oh, it's you know they're happy. You know, here comes the sun and that sort of thing. Um, but this is such like you know a multi-faceted way to use a pathetic fallacy because it's like the idea of a pathetic fallacy is just nature responding to whatever's happening in the story. But here, you know. Is nature protesting? Is nature, you know, uh, being a, a, an accessory? Complicit. Yeah, complicit and yeah. accessory. Um, and it's such like that's the, the 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 thunderstorm scene in the original film is just like such a like visceral thing too um, because Mrs. Voorhees is like fucking nuts. <laughs> um, yeah she's like a complete like it's not even that yes obviously she's killing she's going around killing teenagers you know that's a problem but she's like completely like when she's talking about what she's doing and why she's doing it and chasing alice around like she's a complete she's scary she's a complete nutcase um and then that's when the thunderstorm after she's revealed as this sociopathic killer um starts to to rage down um and it's really interesting for such... You know, it's a film with a fairly simple plot, a fairly simple setting, um, and a sort of closed circuit of how many characters you can have in it um, based on mm-hmm. that setting. And you got all this stuff kind of going on under the surface um, that you can play with mentally.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, there's... There's a lot. And let's let's talk about, like... The characters for a second, because um, I think of, um, I think like one of the tropes in in horror movies in terms of characters that everyone loves to talk about is like, the sort of ha- that harbinger of doom figure. Yeah. And the original Friday the Thirteenth gives us one of the best in Crazy Ralph. Yeah. And <laughs> he. He um. He is definitely that sort of like um, Cassandra figure, like Cassandra. from Greek mythology, almost Cassandra. You know, this is true though. Yeah, he's he, he's got that. He knows what's going to happen, but but no one is listening.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and and he Wait. warns them. It's- and it gets into this great dichotomy of like. Uh, sort of generational divides because all of our young camp counselors, they, you know, history and tradition and everything crazy Ralph is trying to warn them about that doesn't apply to them and stuff or whatever. And it's, it's fun. It's, it's interesting. And I, I don't know that crazy Ralph is the best of the horror Cassandras. I would, I feel like Sam Loomis from Halloween. Yeah. Halloween yeah. Oh
0: my God. that. And he's walking around talking about but, the, the evil and the monstrosity. Right, but crazy Ralph is definitely utilized
1: in that role to an awesome yeah respect in this, I feel like yeah, and like
0: and you know, and that's the it works like having a harbinger of doom and a Cassandra figure like that. it's funny because they kind of make <coughs> not make fun of it, but they kind of like point it out explicitly and scream too, although Dude. I wouldn't say that um sydney is our kind of cassandra well maybe in the second one but um with something like Friday, uh, possibly which, yeah they try to paint her yeah but which side note i have lost the location of a bug that was on my wall earlier so
1: so <laughs> everyone keep, if miss mouse screams keep in the middle of <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> um but yeah i mean like that's the thing is is like and you get so like it was a big thing. specific. I had to do an article on specifically on these sort of camp legends up in the Catskills, because um, I feel like that's where everyone tends to go for their sleepaway camp is like upstate New York. Side note: There's a Forhees, or yeah. Voorhees or New Jersey. Watch out for that. It it exists. Voorhees, New Jersey. Amazing. It's ironic, isn't it? Anyway, um, was it? Hmm. We have to investigate that.
1: I wonder if it was something else and then re- renamed.
0: I know it's not far from Philadelphia, actually, because they sometimes you do their traffic with the Philly traffic. So
1: that's awesome because
0: the movies are set in New Jersey. Yeah. So every yeah. So I was like, hmm, not going there. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> nope. up in the the Catskills of New York, the big sort of um, I'm, you know, and every camp has its localized legends and that sort of thing, but the big one Sorry. um across these uh camps up in new york is the legend of cropsy which is um different things mm. to different people depending on which camp you're at who's telling the story um it from you know it looks like it came from staten island itself and then kind of trickled out into the um wilds of new york um but basically it's you know oh like on a night just like tonight this guy killed a person and this is the anniversary of that thing that you know there's always you know it kind of both is ironic and serious at the same time because it's like you've got this crazy Ralph figure who's that guy who's like oh yeah like tonight's the night where it happened and if you go out on that trail you're gonna get you know stabbed to death and that sort of thing is like everyone's like okay crazy Ralph but it's you know played as kind of like not even a cried wolf situation, but it's played against that motif where everyone's always heard the story in the urban legend where oh like tonight's the night that the like hash slinging slasher like yeah <laughs> fucking comes out to
1: <laughs> <Ashley> slasher
0: <laughs> to get people. amazing. Um so I think in no terms absolutely. Of, of the way it's played like it it just sets it up it sets it up sets itself up there we go so well in this camp setting.
1: Absolutely, I, I, I completely agree. Um, the hash bringing, the, the crash bringing, the hash bringing, the hash pleasure. Uh, and I guess uh, so. The other big, in terms of uh, characters, character tropes to talk about is obviously the final girl, yeah. Uh, um, and what's interesting in terms of our final girl on Friday the 13th, uh, um. Uh, Alice, who's played by Adrian King, um, so much of the rules that we think of that have come from slashers and that are referenced and parodied in Scream, one of the big ones is that sex and drugs equals death, yeah. but Alice, our final girl here, actually defies Alice smokes pot yeah. in this movie, and she doesn't die. Um, Laurie Strode actually does the same thing in Halloween, and she survives. Yeah. Um, but, so it, it's interesting that, that, you know, that rule doesn't apply here, but so many people think of Friday the 13th as establishing that rule. Yeah. Of sex and drugs equals death. Um, and Brenda, the character of Brenda, I feel like... She has more like the sort of sassy wit that we now think of as being sort of a marker of the final girl
0: mm-hmm.
1: than Alice does. But, you know, of course, she doesn't make it. Um, Bye, Brenda. So I think this was doing interesting,
0: this was doing interesting things with Yeah. And it's that. interesting if you look at the source of some of these things that are kind of considered staple tropes to see that they aren't quite what they turned out to be. I mean, you could argue that in Friday the 13th, the focus was less kind of on the all-around taboos and it was more about, um, you know, maybe the sex and that sort of thing and it's the same thing. I mean, they certainly, that's what they focused on in Scream when they were talking about it because you see Sydney kind of like drinking and doing other things before then and then it's only after she has sex with her boyfriend that um, she's suddenly in danger and that sort of thing. But yeah, no, it's interesting how they're not, the, 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 um, sources aren't exactly as pure or strict as we, we see them now. Um, absolutely. Which, and it's, it's it's interesting because it's like, again, it's a camp, like, you know, it's horny camp counselors at a camp, you know, it's, um, it's the perfect place to play with that, that idea of what they get up to, um. And that's, like, such the brilliance, too, of not having the kids there yet. Like, the kids are coming. It's going to happen. But for right now, they're all alone. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, like, such just a great, quick little way to just add to the environment and add to the story as well.
1: It is. And I feel like there's so many awesome little moments and subtle things and sort of behind-the-curtain work like that, that went into this movie and that did that, that do make it so great. And that does cement its place as a classic and one of the greatest horror films we have. Um, Thinking thinking about like all the subtle sort of omens of doom outside of crazy Ralph. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: When they're driving to the camp in the beginning, they go past the cemetery and there's a mention of how close it is to the camp. And there's this sort of, like, subconscious connection, you know, it's not that far from the camp to the grave, in a way, and stuff Mm. or whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: Or when Ned pretends to drown uh, during the day. And it's this, obviously, callback to what has, what starts this whole massacre. You know, the drowning of Jason Voorhees and stuff like that. And where we end up with, you know, we end up on the dock at the lake again for the decapitation scene. Which, what a coup de grace!
0: <laughs> <sighs> I mean, that
1: go. scene has everything you want in a death blow. Yeah. And no one expected it. You never. You don't expect that when you're watching it for the first time.
0: Who expects Spanish Inquisition of the decapitation? Um, yeah. <laughs> the decapitation. <laughs> People don't get killed. I feel like that doesn't happen in horror films anymore. Like, that's not how you kill your... Well, and this is also, too, I guess, before the advent of the supernatural killer as well where, you know, you could decapitate Mike Myers and then you find out in the next movie, oh, it wasn't really him. It was, like, a stunt body and it was like, oh. Um, But it's still just kind of, like, a really, like, such finality to it and such a shocking way to go. Um, and I get, like, I don't think it was done that much. Like, I don't, like, if you, I can't think of many people who get decapitated in horror movies.
1: Yeah, it it wasn't. And it, it sort of, enca- it got everything you want in the climax to your horror film. Like, revulsion, nausea, fear, that peak of terror, excitement, release. Um, and it was great. And you didn't expect it. But the film tells you to expect it, yeah. Because of that scene, there's the scene earlier in the cabin where they they find the snake in the beds, and what do they do? They cut its head off with yeah. the machete.
0: Yeah, um,
1: and it's that sort of whole, literally you know, a snake cut, in the
0: garden, cutting their head off the snake. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a, you know a snake corrupting this sort of idyllic Eden-like place. Yeah. And, and what happens at the end? Boom! Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it's brilliant.
0: There's yeah, there's just there, there's so much subtle symbolism, um, and I feel like that's like a huge thing, especially in the slashers that you get throughout. I mean, if you just you know you even look at Halloween and a lot of the things Loomis says. If you look at Scream and the way they overtly use the Cassandra metaphor in the second film. Um, you know, there's so much great sort of little literary illusions, um, s- visual symbolism that goes into these movies that kind of, I do not say it gets lost. It's just like, you know, it takes a podcast to sit down and say, look at all these things in Friday the 13th. Yeah,
1: I think it, yeah, I think it just gets written off, Yeah. um, by people who aren't sort of, uh, genre freaks. Mm-hmm. like us you know they just dismiss and people uh, people still like you know purported movie film people write off friday the 13th as dreck and okay maybe that applies to some of the sequels but the original was was doing some interesting stuff some cool stuff yeah. some smart stuff
0: yeah yeah very very purposeful stuff at the very least um right and yeah, I mean, like, you, know, you, you can't, and even now, if you want to, you know, complain about what have you, I mean, you can't, even on other genres, like thriller genres and that sort of thing, and more, you know, uh, cinemagraphic thrillers and that sort of thing, and kind of the more um, respected, suspenseful, tense movies, they still owe a great deal to these slasher films. I mean... You know, mm-hmm. the thriller was kind of born out of the slasher because I feel like the slasher is kind of where the intersection comes um, for horror and thriller films. Because I've always considered those two separate things. I mean, when I was looking at my list of um, uh, best horror films of 2016, I didn't put Green Room on it because for me, Green Room was a thriller. Um, and Oh, interesting. And Don't Breathe almost didn't get on the list, but I justified it. Um, because I felt like the blind man was kind of a um, quintessential, like, supernatural monster sort of stalking them. He kind of had that vibe to him. Um,
1: well, and I think Don't Breathe also produces a sense of yeah,
0: of of, yeah revulsion in like, yeah. you. Um, but, yeah, like, I've always considered those kind of separate things, even though they often get grouped together. People will say... <clears throat> You know, Green Room technically gets brought up in horror lists and is referred to by many as a horror film. To me, that's a thriller. You know, there's a difference between uh, a continued heightened state like that and, and um, Perpetual Danger um, and the idea of revulsion and fear. Um, and you could even break that down even further into the third category of terror, which is kind of like right mm. before the thriller happens, I feel like. Um but yeah, like even those films, you know, they wouldn't exist or they wouldn't, they at least got their start in Slasher, which was a totally. horror film that relied completely on continued tension um, and continued yes. anxiety.
1: And, and, and Friday the 13th is one of the slashers, you know? Mm. I mean, if, if Halloween was the parent. And it was because, you know, Friday the 13th owes itself to Halloween um, along with uh, Alien and um, Bay of Blood and uh, a couple others. But, you know, if Halloween was the parent, it it was really Friday the 13th that kind of provided the slasher template.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and Um, I think I've said this before, too. We had a similar conversation, is that it's always the second film that kind of sets up Or the second of anything that really sets up um, what you what you've got going on. The the specific. Uh, example i used was the disney renaissance of the 90s where a little mermaid technically started it but it really didn't get attention or really didn't use its full potential until beauty and the beast if you want to look at something like even superheroes superman was our first superhero but batman came right after him and he's the sort of Mm -hmm. quintessential like well-rounded superhero that people now model virtually every modern day superhero off of and that sort of thing like it always seems to be The second film um, in a precedent-defining chain. Movement. Movement chain. Yeah, is the one that really sets up what people are going to do um, from that point on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. It's a fun progression to
0: watch. Yeah. And it's even, if you want to take it on a micro scale, it's even true here because people always associate Jason with Friday the 13th. He doesn't even appear as the killer until the second film.
1: Mm hmm. So, absolutely. Which, absolutely. speaking of
0: Jason, and it's, well, you signed up for spoilers when you put this podcast on. Um, the ending <laughs> of the film. Mm. Um, is an interesting one. Um, Alice wakes up in the lake. Um, and it's like, oh, it's daylight. Great. Storm's over. This is all over. Gets ambushed by a, uh, small creature that appears to be a drowned boy wakes up in a doctor's office. And they're like, oh my God, you've been out. Like, we found you. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, and it appears her final attack on the lake is a dream, because she asks where the boy, Jason, is. Jason! Um, In that voice, and uh, they say they don't know what she's talking about, there's no boy, and she just kind of stares off into the Mm -hmm. into the uh, space of the hospital room, wondering if maybe Jason is still out there somewhere. Um, Which totally sets up the next one
1: do we wonder because then it, you know we fade into a shot of the tranquil lake. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's how the film closes. Yeah. Um is he out there? Is that possible? Yeah. Which is interesting because
0: um, I don't think the film really postulates that too much until the end like it's not really a
1: no, Anything not yet. Yeah. Really
0: focused on until the very end when you're like, oh shit! That mm-hmm. was scary. But then, so birth is the
1: franchise. Yeah, you know, um, and now it's twelve movies strong with a possible thirteenth coming out this year. Oh boy! Um, this is
0: counting Freddy vs Jason. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And it was. It was, you know, the first real horror success of the 1980s. Um, It was definitely a big deal for um, horror uh, icon special effects makeup artist Tom Savini. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He had worked on the film, uh, just come off of Dawn of the Dead, and... um, he did work on this and that led him to do a couple other slashers, um, the burning, the prowler, and now he's legendary in the horror community for his work. Um, so it was a big deal and it was kind of like the spark of like these, all these 80s slasher franchises that were almost like the new, like, brand-named monsters from the 1930s. Mm, yeah. You know, like, Frankensteins and Draculas yeah, and Wolfmans. Yeah. You know that? You, yeah, like, the, yeah. the
0: Universal Monsters. The Universal
1: Monsters, yeah. Universal.
0: Which is and, so um, interesting to think about, um, because you've turned the Universal Monsters, which were these classics, you know, supernatural creatures, and... Now the universal monsters or the brand monsters of horror were human beings running around with machetes and butcher knives and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, Generation X, um, mm. <laughs> which is it? Yeah, and then you know it's so interesting to think about trends like that because then that turned into um, found footage films in the mid two thousands and and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I love looking at the history of horror through the decades. Yeah. Because um, it's such a unique genre, and that it seems that every decade has its trends and its themes that are such cool reflections of the generations at the time, the politics of the time, the cultures of the time. And Friday the 13th, I think, was a big gateway for that for the 80s. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and no, we've said many times, you know, the the point of you know good horror, the point of horror is that you, you know, it it as they said, the one good line from Scream, the TV series, when they were discussing how ni- <laughs> nightmares and dreams and horror films basically serve the same function for us to you know have ways to um, digest information or somehow. Um, compartmentalize, put a label on on these things, in this case these things that scare us, so these things that make us uncomfortable. Um which is why you've got, you know, the eighties, you know, post several world wars, post Vietnam, post Korea, Gulf War coming mm. up, you know, Cold War coming to an end, and you've got these what's scaring people now is human beings. Um you know, chasing each other around with household items for the most part. I mean, that's the always the interesting thing about serial killers too is they never use like some crazy like machine gun or something that you can't get your hands on. Like they've got butcher knives and machetes, or they'll pick up a kitchen knife. Right. They'll use what's around them. Um, they'll push somebody out of a window. They're very they're very resourceful. It's,
1: it's intimate. It's it's everyday. You know. It's, yeah. It's, that's the where the fear comes
0: from. Yeah. Yeah, the 80s were a scary time. (laughs) Which even I think, you know, and that was happening here too, I believe, you know. I mean, look at that hair. Oh God. Oh God. I was thinking that while I was watching Sing Street. Um, Yeah, like even here, like Mrs. Voorhees uses things she finds in their cabins, like when they're in the kitchen, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, your environment kind of turns against you as well in that sense. Um, and it's funny because in later films, people would set up shots to kind of reveal what could be used as a weapon um, when the scene begins. And you're like, well, that stupid fucking um, garret he's got in the corner is going to turn into a garret um, <laughs> or something like that. Not that like literal, but something like that. Right. You're like, um, oh, that's
1: going to come back.
0: Yeah, you're like, oh, look at that shard of glass on the floor. And you're going to fall you know, and stab yourself in the neck on it. Um, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's just so interesting to see kind of that shift. Like, I didn't think about it in terms, of, and that's totally what it is. It's like that was the new universal monsters. Um, it wasn't, you know, these unreachable, unattainable sort of paranormal things. You know, people weren't really afraid that Dracula was going to come flying into their window. It was just sort of like a, oh, Charlotte. You've been reading the books again, you know, type of thing. Um, And this could really happen. I mean, there could, you know, not to, you know, freak myself out as I go to bed tonight, but, you know, you could totally (laughs) imagine a guy sneaking into your house in some kind of mask and picking up a fork and, you know, that's that.
1: And that's that. I mean, yeah. And... You know, before he became unkillable and back from the dead and stuff mm-hmm. or whatever, and same with Michael Myers, I, um, Jason was a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, human, but very, very dangerous yeah. and real.
0: Yeah, and that I mean, you could argue that's kind of, you know, it's now such a motif and Stable with Slashers is that they're unkillable, you can't kill them, and that's kind of where the fun is, but I think that's also where it starts to lose its focus a little bit because, you know, it, the obviously the scariest thing in the world is going to be another person, um, no matter what you kind of throw at people. Um, and you see that in everything. I mean, even in the Harry Potter adaptations, they did their best to make Voldemort look as human as possible because that was way scarier um, than, you know, mm-hmm. some demonic figure who you can just attribute and say... You know, okay, well, he was never human in the first place, um, which for me was always a thing in um, the sort of haunted house genre where they'd be like, "Oh, it's a demon; it was never human." That's less scary to me than, you know, the ghost of a man who axed his family, um, yeah, and that sort of thing because it's you know, it's just it's it's a mirror; it's in your face. It's it could be you, it could be your parents, it could be your roommate, it could be the guy down the hall, it could be your friends, um, and slashers, particularly Friday the 13th, kind of force you to come face-to-face with that realization that, you know, there is lots of dark parts um, to the human psyche. Um, I think Halloween really, really focused in on that because Michael Myers was just a complete nutcase. Um, But yeah, like, slashers as a whole, like, that's the idea, is that this is the sort of darker subconscious of your mind that wants revenge, that wants to just cause destruction running wild.
1: Absolutely. And I think that is why, like thinking of sort of slashers now, or these franchises that were sort of born in the eighties and saw most of their sequels in the eighties as they went on. There's a shift where you stop rooting for your the human characters mm. or the innocent characters, and there's almost a twisted sense of the killer.
0: Yeah,
1: you know there are these icons, there are these characters you know you want to see the slicing and the dicing and stuff or whatever. Yeah, And I think that's rooted in what you were talking about.
0: Yeah. You want to, you know, it kind of, you know, you see it more blatantly in something like Saw or Final Destination where you're like, oh, I'm here for the kills. I'm here to see the traps. You know, I want to see what creative ways they come up with, with killing people. With slashers, it always started out as being really scary. You know, you had this one girl or a couple of kids who were, for some reason, victimized by this worthless killer and you're like what the fuck that's so scary um and then it as it goes on and you know it, it kind of becomes you know it, it takes on a life unto itself it becomes about oh i want to watch you know i want to see what they're gonna like i want to see how this person's gonna get you know completely mm-hmm. eviscerated and that sort of thing which you know there's you know it's just and it's not good or bad i mean obviously like <laughs> you know whatever wanting to watch somebody get <laughs> torn open but um, you know it's yeah it's an interesting part Is like you kind of step into the mindset of the killer the longer you stay with these franchises and the longer you go you're rooting for this killer more than these people the killies the victims Um, you know and it's kind of this weird little um, wish fulfillment or fantasy where you kind of let that aggression out a little bit um,
1: yeah and that, that's a that's a big aspect of horror. Yeah. You know, a medium where you can vicariously live out the darker parts of yeah. your own self, psyche, soul, however you want to phrase or that.
0: The mind. And, um, the mind. I think that's why we have so much fun in the basement because you kind of get that chance to live out like a total horror film like that's what it is and that's how I you know when we when I tell people I was like yeah like this shit went down they tied us to some chairs put some bags over they're like what the fuck is the matter with you like that sounds horrifying and I was like no like it was really fun because it was like being in a horror movie but you knew in the end you were gonna be fine like nothing was gonna actually hurt you so it let you you know play and um that's a big thing in um Immanuel Kant, he has this um, whole philosophy, he is a philosopher, um, he is a German philosopher, uh, but he had this whole thing about the human, humans interacting with the fantastic and basically saying that only when humans know that they're going to be safe um, and they know that the no harm can come to them, that's when they're going to kind of let themselves go when it comes to the fantastic and, and experiencing these stories. Um, Which is, you know, on a micro scale, you get that, too, in regular, you know, jump scare um, haunted houses Mm -hmm. where you know Mm -hmm. no one's going to actually jump out and stab you in the face. So you'll let yourself kind of experience um, the the thrill of it in a controlled setting.
1: Absolutely. I I bet a good number of people listening did not think we would get into... (sighs) German philosophy talking about a slasher from 1980. But I think that is a great testament to Friday the 13th as a, as a film and and what it stands for and what it did and what it continues to still mean to uh, filmmaking and people who love horror and beyond.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and that's the thing is you just gotta let yourself experience, you know, like, let yourself experience these things. And you'll be, it's interesting, you know, you don't have to go out and check out a book from the library, you know, 900 pages deep about this stuff. But, you know, watch a film. What do you notice is happening? What do you notice you're feeling? Um, even I can say when I saw Nocturnal Animals on Tuesday, like, at different points of that movie, I was not moving an inch. I'm a very... Like I move around a lot. I have attention deficit. I, you know, I I move around a lot in movies. Like people, I always feel bad because I'm always shifting my position, and it seems like I don't like the movie. But I'm just very fiddy. she does. I tested. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very fidgety um, when I'm doing anything. Like even now on the podcast, I've moved probably 15 times. Um, <laughs> but the point is, is, you know, when I was watching Nocturnal Animals, different points of it, I'd classify that. That's kind of a psychological thriller is that I think the genre that's getting most um, identified with. But like, I don't, I didn't want to move. And it's like, there's no reason it's a film. Me moving isn't going to affect it, but it's like, you're just arrested in place. And it's interesting just to think about even little things like that. You know, what does watching these things what you know, and how you react to them physiologically, mentally, emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. and just kind of exploring that. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to go out and I hope it doesn't mean you're going to go out and go cray cray. But, um, if you do have the urge, <laughs> call someone, call somebody, <laughs> somebody. but that um, is not
1: the intention.
0: Yeah, no, but even
1: you, of horror films, that is not the intention. No,
0: <laughs> no. And, um, you know you look at you know what maybe it's catharsis and that's that's the big thing is like the Greek catharsis the big point of everything right that we're doing in, in art and film and stories is to reach that point where you have a release of emotions um, these are just very different emotions mm-hmm. um, that I think people are used to feeling when they watch things or what they want to feel when they watch things as well
1: mm-hmm so. Totally, yeah. Which is the beauty of horror. I think horror films, horror novels, they can get us to experience and release certain emotions that other genres just can't quite get to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You have to get a little bit dirty to uh mm-hmm. to get at certain things.
1: Gotta go a little bit dark. It's fun in the dark.
0: Which, speaking of the basement, for those of you in Pittsburgh, it has a special Valentine's Day uh, opening. They did this a few years. I've never been to it. I'm curious what it is and why somebody says Valentine's have. Day, good day to, like, just open the basement, get people mm. to sign some waivers. I don't know. But uh, check it out if you feel so so inclined, so brave.
1: That would be cool. That would be an, a, a unique Valentine's date with your significant other if go. nothing else
0: i have seen in my time working at scare house there were plenty of people who came there on first dates and i did not understand the con, like the mentality behind it like that there, would like, there, like instantly if i
1: was like let's go to Scarehouse." i'd be like yes
0: which yeah <laughs> fine i get that it's like yes obviously craig would go crazy if that was his first date but like I was like, these are people like you. Totally tell one of them got dragged by the other on this this date, and I was like, you like if you guys can get through this, like you're getting married, like holy crap, um, <laughs> you're signing waivers on the first date in front of each other. What a <laughs> strong couple. What a um. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Scare House does cool stuff like that year round. Um, they have random little days where they open their doors throughout the year, not just the Halloween. So always a good thing to check yeah. out if you're nearby.
1: Nearby in that uh, that Western PA area.
0: That Western PA life. I'm curious to see um, what the situation is here in Toronto come Halloween. I don't think they do Halloween as big here. Oh, that will be curious. Um, I don't yeah. find out. Because, you know, it's such a mix of European and American, and it's like... You'll just right, have to don't... introduce it. And like, this is my haunted house in my apartment.
1: You'll be the one who makes it go big.
0: There yeah, we go. That's why I'm here. Show these Torontons uh...
1: How to do spook.
0: How to do spook. Yeah. Friday the 13th,
1: kids. Oh. Yeah, I think we had a pretty good inaugural Friday the Thirteenth episode. The discourse um, we hoped- TM, discourse TM. Hopefully, if you've never seen it, we've convinced you to give it a watch. If you weren't a fan, hopefully, we've made you see it in a new light. Um, if you weren't a fan, you know, it was that's
0: about
1: you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, good so. stuff. Kids. Yeah, and um, I guess in October we will be doing Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, Two, which Jason. Yeah. Um. Well, all right, Miss Mel, you want to roll out the contact information? I can
0: do that. Alright, so you can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at splatterchatter666 minus the vowels or just type it in the search bar if that's too much work. Um, You can find Craig's blog at splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. You can find us on Tumblr at just splatterchatter.tumblr.com, which is very void of... I should, like, update that, but not many people seem to be using Tumblr. Um, <laughs> you can find the podcast both on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Um, it seems to be a pretty even mix between people listening from both those things, which is good stuff, um, mainly because it goes on SoundCloud first, and there's always a delay to get it on iTunes, because that's how iTunes works. So, those are all the things.
1: Those are all the things. Hopefully, we will hear from you. Um... We know there's Friday the 13th fans out there.
0: Yeah. That's
1: why it's so successful. Yep, yep,
0: yep. Yeah, definition of a a cult classic right there.
1: Mm, for real. So So yeah. Um get at us. Let us know get your us. your Crystal Lake memories. Mm-hmm. And um we will be back at you soon with more spooka spook content. Spooka spook content. Have a delightfully unlucky, but not too unlucky Friday the 13th. And um, we au revoir. Adios. And das Vidania.